I want to give you my title tonight before we start. I'll just give it right away to you. Your victory depends on your thought life. I want you to help me with that title. Look at somebody and tell them your victory depends on your thought life. Say it one more time. Look at somebody else and tell them your victory depends on your thought life. Oh yeah, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. You know where I'm going to start off. We're going to start in Romans 12, those, those first um, two verses, especially Romans 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for most of this tonight. Your victory depends upon your thought life. How many know God wants you to have victory? Not only does God want you to have victory, how many know Jesus died? He gave his life so that you and I would walk in victory. Jesus died to guarantee that we would have victory. Praise God. We're in Romans 12. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I'm going to read that last part again. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many know God wants you and I to know his will? And as we always say around here, faith begins where the will of God is known. And so we have to know God's will in order to do God's will. And thankfully, God has written in his word, his will and testament. God's written what his will is for you and I. Amen. Praise God. And, and so God wants us to be transformed. How does he transform us? Listen, our spirits got saved. Our spirits got born again. Our spirits got recreated. But we have to do something with our mind. Can you say amen to that? You and I are responsible to do something with our mind. And tonight, I believe the Lord sent me here to say this. Your victory depends on your thought life. Jesus has done everything he's going to do for you and I. He's won the victory for you and I. He's accomplished everything we need for you and I to walk in victory and dominate and overcome in this life. I remember during one of the most trying times of my life in 2014 and a number of events had happened in my life and and I remember and right in the middle of that, my dad went home to be with the Lord and right in the middle of a crisis I was dealing with, I had to fly to New Jersey and then I had to, my dad, had, he wanted me to uh, be his, uh, you know, uh, uh, the executor of his estate. He wanted me to preach his funeral and I did, you know, everything from his funeral video and pictures. I chronicled his life story and I preached his funeral and I, you know, tried to follow all the instructions that he left me uh, for my sisters. And, and then I had to sell his house and I needed to get an attorney. And I only had just a few days from here and I had to get back to work here. And I had so many things pressing. And I remember going back to his house after his funeral, the, after the crowds were all gone, everybody had left. And it was just me in his living room. And I started to be overwhelmed with the task at hand. I started thinking about what a short amount of time I had. I started thinking about how I really needed to get 
back to Tulsa. I had nobody there in New Jersey that I knew anymore. I'd been gone, you know, 20, 30 years, and I didn't know anybody there anymore. And my dad had a big house. He built that house some 30 years prior and, and four bedrooms and two levels and every closet and every attic space was full. And, you know, and, and somehow I was, I'm going to have to get all of those things out. My sisters didn't want any of really what was in the house. I didn't, only his grandfather clock. I, I, I received his grandfather clock and maybe one other item, but really uh, none of us wanted anything that was in the house. And so now I had to get rid of a whole house full of furniture. I've got just a few days off. I've, I've got to get a lawyer to make sure that the will that he did is right. I've got to get a, I've got to hire a real estate agent to get the house on the market. And man, I got back and I just preached his funeral and I'd done so many things already. And I sat in his living room, overwhelmed with what I needed to do next. And as I thought about, I don't know an attorney. I don't know here. I'm in Jersey. I don't know a real estate agent. Where? I said something like, where do I begin? But down on the inside of me, I heard these words. You know exactly where to start. I looked over there in the, in the middle of the, of the other side of the floor. I traveled with my guitar. When I looked over there at my guitar, I felt that you know exactly where to start. And I could tell what the Lord was saying to me. Pick up that guitar and start worshiping me. You know, so much happens when we worship God. I mean, God will move. He'll move through heaven and hell out of the way for you. When we start worshiping God, the power of God begins to move, begins to manifest, begins to break through. Whether or not you can see it or not, something happens. God inhabits the praises of his people. When you and I begin to, even in the midst of adversity, we begin to magnify him, begin to lift up his name, begin to honor him and bless him in spite of what you feel in spite of what you're going through, when you begin to bless the Lord anyway, when you refuse to let Satan chain down your praise and you say, I'm going to bless him anyway. I'm going to magnify him anyway. It might not have turned out the way that you thought, but when you determine I'm going to bless God anyway, even if my situation is not what I thought it would be, I'm going to bless him. He's still worthy. He's worthy of my praise. He's still the God who saved me. He's still the God who delivered me. He's still the God who filled me with the Holy Ghost. He's still saving, delivering, healing, answering prayer. He's still that kind of God. And something happens when we begin to magnify him and we begin to lift up his name. And as I saw my guitar there and I felt down in my spirit, you know where to start. You know exactly what to do. And I began to worship him and I began to magnify him. And as I began to magnify him, my huge problem began to shrink. And the more that I began to bless his name, the smaller my problem began to get. And the more that I began to call upon him and tell him how mighty he is and what a good God he is and how there's no problem too big for God. And I began to quote, like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, God is anything too difficult for you. There's nothing that's too difficult for the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 27, God answered Jeremiah back. He said, Jeremiah, hey, nothing is too difficult for me. You got the right one. And as I began to magnify the Lord there in my dad's living room, oh man, my problems began to shrink. And when I got done magnifying him, my problems seemed so small, seemed so insignificant, seemed so tiny in the midst of such an awesome God. And I began to think that there's nothing that this awesome God cannot do. And so... 
I clung to the promises of his word and I began to speak promises out of my mouth and God immediately began to change my situation. I had been thinking about how big the problem was and my dad had all that furniture and how could I get it all out? And I had called already to the city and the city said, well, we will uh, assign uh, within the next 40 days, we will assign one day when you can put a small amount of things out and we'll come pick it up. But should you put out more than we say in that 40 days and we're going to fine you a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. And I had, uh, I had called the Salvation Army and, and I told them, I've got so much, I want to donate a bunch of things. And they said, well, if, you're, if the furniture is cloth furniture, we don't take that. And I said, but it's in really good shape. They said, we're sorry, sir, we don't take any cloth furniture. Whoa, but as I began to magnify the Lord and call upon the Lord, you know, some mighty strange things started happening. I remember my dad had a friend, uh, uh, an Italian brother who was my dad's friend from church. And he called me out of the blue. I never forget that. And uh, he said, Bill Jr. He said, you know, I was your dad's friend. He said, your dad drove a Trans Am and I worked in the parking lot at church. And he said, I'd hear that big Trans Am rumbling into the church parking lot. And he said, I'd get my flashlight ready. I'd guide your dad right into his space hearing the rumble. He said, we talked many days about that rumble on your dad's Trans Am, you know. He said, the reason I'm calling is because I feel like I'm supposed to help you in some way and I don't know what you need. Is there something that you need that I can help you with? And I said, brother, there's a lot of things I need. I don't know if you can help me or not, but I said, my dad's got a house full of furniture. I don't know how to disperse of it. He said, let me call you right back. That brother called me back in 15 minutes. He said, I've got eight guys from the church. I'm going to be able to give them to you for five days, eight hours a day. And if you can just feed them, the church is paying them and teaching them different things. They've come in off the street. The church is teaching them different trades and so forth. If you'll just feed them, we're already paying their salary. And we're going to give you eight guys for five days. Would that help? I said, oh, man. Oh, yeah, that helped me. Oh, yeah, that helped me. Uh, God is a good God. There's nothing too hard for God. I started thinking just like when I praise him, there ain't nothing too hard for our God. You say, Brother Bill, I got a problem. You don't know about my problem. I don't know about your problem, but I know about your God. And he's a mighty God. And there's nothing he can't do. And I'll never forget how God, I remember the lady from the, I felt impressed, called the lady from the city back. I called the lady from the city back. I said, you know, I just have five days and I've got to get back to Tulsa. She said, nope, nope, we only set a date for you. It'll be sometime in the next 40 days. It won't be in the next five days though. And I said, ma'am, I really need your help. She said, well, I'm, she said, I'm giving you all the help I can give you. And uh, she said, I'm going to let you talk to somebody else. And another lady got on the line and she said, sir, she said, you know, your, 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 your story, your, what you need goes against our policy. She said, but you know, just talking to you, I'm just going to override the policy. She said, whatever you need to throw out, whatever you need to put out, you put it out there on the curb and I'm going to send a big old dump truck over there and we'll get everything you need. I shouted out, hallelujah. (laughs) Nothing is too hard from God. And from hiring the attorney to hiring the the, uh, real estate agent, one after another, after another, it all started worshiping God. 
I told you a few sermons back when the real estate agent came over, he said, I think my, I think my baby brother, he said, my baby brother died. And uh, he said, but he built a number of houses in this area. And this looks like the style of house my baby brother would have built about 30 years ago. He said he always signed his name on one of the beams in the, up in the attic. He said, can we go up there? I said, yeah, let's go on up there. We went up there and biggest day, there was his baby brother's signature. He said, I'm going to sell this house. He said, my baby brother's in heaven. I'm going to do it for you. He said, but I'm doing it for him. And he did. Yeah, he took good care of me. Yeah. The attorney, I could go on and on and on. What did you say to that in the beginning when we started? Your, your victory, your victory depends on your thought life. Let's go over some things real quick because it starts with worship and praise, but how we think. God wants to transform our thinking. We started there in Romans 12. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Your victory depends on your thought life. We want to put our victory all off on God, but God's already done it. God's already won the victory. It's already done. God already did it. Your victory depends on your thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. We use mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning or thinking and to destroy false arguments or thinking. And we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Yeah. You know, some thoughts have to be cast down. Every thought that comes to you and I is not a good thought. And oftentimes, because we live in a fallen world, there are thoughts that have to be cast down. Listen to me now. Your victory is dependent upon your willingness to cast down wrong thoughts. And the enemy loves to operate by suggestion. He loves to throw fiery darts over at our minds. And he's hoping we won't do what Ephesians 6 tells you and I, to lift up the shield of faith, to stand against the fiery darts of the enemy. Where are they aimed? They're aimed at our mind. First Peter, first Peter, chapter one, verse 13. Look over there with me. First Peter 1, 13. God is a good God. First Peter 1, 13 says, so prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. I tell you, we've got to prepare, the Bible says, prepare your mind, your minds for action. Why? Because your victory depends upon your thought life. Okay, I want to share some things real quick with you now on the time that we have about thinking in our thought life because, you know, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So listen, number one, wrong thinking will produce wrong emotions. I I, I said, you've got to cast down the wrong thoughts because wrong thinking will produce wrong emotions. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Wrong thinking will produce wrong emotion. Wrong thinking will produce jealousy, will produce fear, will produce anger, will produce worry, will produce sadness, will produce depression, will produce strife. Wrong thinking is not your friend. We can't allow, the Bible, that's why the Bible said in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 4 and 5, cast down imaginations, cast it down. I said, amen. Your victory depends upon your thought life. First Samuel 18, 7. You know this story. 
Um, this is King Saul and David after David had slain Goliath. We know this story, but I'm, but I'm going to read it. Uh, this was their song. The, the women came out. They were singing a song in the parade, right? There was a parade after David killed Goliath, and they were singing a song, and this was the words of the song. Verse 7, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And this made Saul very what? Very angry. Why? His wrong thinking produced wrong emotions. What is this, he said? They credit David with 10,000 and me only with thousands, and next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a what? A jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. And let me just say, there's no, God doesn't have any tormenting spirits, so this is just not written in the way that is, is, is proper. God allowed a tormenting spirit to come on Saul is what happened. His, he, Saul got out from under God's umbrella of protection. There was a hedge of protection around him. And through his constant disobedience, his constant disobedience, God's holding an umbrella over him and he's getting out from under it. And wrong thinking will remove you from under God's umbrella. There's an umbrella over you. Wrong thinking will get you out from under that umbrella. Your victory depends on your thought life. And let me just finish uh, this uh, story because verse 10 says, the very next day, the tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. Suddenly he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. And Saul was then afraid. Everybody say afraid. Afraid. Wrong thinking produces wrong emotions. He was afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. It turned away from Saul. And finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him as commander over a thousand. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. And David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading his troops to battle. Wrong thinking will produce jealousy, fear, anger, worry, sadness, wrong thinking. You and I can't afford wrong thinking. It'll produce the wrong emotion in you. I said, I wish I had a bigger amen. Go with me to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 real quick. 1 Kings 19. Come on, we've got to run through scripture. We're going to run. 1 Kings 19. You're going to write them down. We're going to run. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servants there, and then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Wrong thinking will produce wrong emotions. Elijah was under that broom tree or juniper tree, whatever scripture, whatever version you're reading, because he allowed wrong thinking to dominate him. And if you, you and I allow wrong thinking to dominate us, guess what's going to happen? We're not going to walk in the victory that Jesus has already won. So often today, we snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. That's weird, right? <laughs> We're supposed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> But wrong thinking puts us in a different position. 
Wrong thinking produces wrong emotion. Secondly, wrong thinking produces wrong speaking. Go with me to Job chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Job chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Wrong, wrong thinking is going to produce wrong emotions. Wrong thinking is going to produce wrong speaking. We're in Job chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, man, how many know Job's wife had the wrong thing coming out of her mouth? That woman missed it. And she gave Job a two-point plan for defeat. Because when you get the wrong thoughts in your mind, your words are going to follow that. Wrong thinking produces wrong speaking. And sometimes when you're going through a challenge, and maybe some circumstance hasn't turned out just right for you, and you may not understand why something has happened or why something didn't happen in the way that you thought, And as believers, sometimes we all go through that. And there are times in all of our lives, if we pass around a microphone, when something didn't happen exactly the way we thought. And and, and what we have to do is walk maturely in the Lord. And we have to make sure that our doctrine is coming from God's word and that our doctrine is not coming from our experiences. Experience is wonderful when it lines up with the word. And, and when, our, when our experience can track along with the word, then praise God, then we can follow that. But in time our experience differs from the word, we're going to have to stick with the word. And Satan will make sure that you hear of some experience or have an experience yourself that seems different from the word. But we have to make sure that we get our doctrine from the word of God. You know, God's worthy of praise no matter what's going on in your life. My buddy hit a drive one time. He hit a drive. He said, praise God. Look at that drive. I hit my ball. My ball went in the woods. I said, praise God. He said, what are you praising God for? Your ball in the woods. I said, because my praise to God is not dependent upon where Bill's golf ball is. My God is bigger than that. He's better than that. He's worthy. (laughs) I don't care if my ball go in the water. God is worthy of praise. My ball may not always go where I want it to go. But my praise to God is not dependent upon my golf ball. I said, he's bigger than that. And whatever problem you may be facing, your praise to God should not be dependent upon what's going on. I wish I had an amen in this place. Brother can't get an amen teaching like that. But he's worthy of praise no matter what's going on, no matter when it didn't work out, no matter who said boo to you. It doesn't matter because God is still worthy of praise. He's worthy. Wrong thinking produces wrong emotions. Wrong thinking produces wrong speaking. Just write these down. I don't have time to to go there, but I'll give you the references. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 says, Today I've given you a choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life, God says, so that your descendants might live. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Quickly, as I'm moving tonight, I can't neglect verse 22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he shall receive favor from the Lord. Thank you, baby. (laughs) I know we're moving quick, but I couldn't go past that scripture. (laughs) Wrong thinking produces wrong emotions. Wrong thinking produces wrong speaking. Wrong thinking leads to wrong believing. 
In John chapter 1, verse 29, look there with me real quick. It's John the Baptist when everything was going well and he felt blessed and on top. He felt guidance for his ministry. He felt assured and certain of the things that he was preaching and saying about the Messiah. And John 1, 29 through 37, 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, resting on him. I did not know uh, he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one uh, whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and resting is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples and Jesus walked by. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Look at Mark chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 now. Wrong thinking leads to wrong believing. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, now while John, now, now, while, now while in prison, excuse me, now while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ and he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, are you the coming one or are we to look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to him, go and report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind receive sight. Those who limp walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. Those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is any person who does not take offense at me. I read you both of those scriptures because they define the context of first John's confidence in Jesus. He saw Jesus and declared boldly and confidently, he's the lamb of God. He's the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then John in his preaching and, and uh, he had told one of the officials that it was wrong for him to marry his brother's wife and, 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 and then they threw him in jail. And from prison, his perspective changed. I'm sure, like for any of us, he was lonely in that prison cell. I'll bet you that things just didn't seem normal in that prison cell. While he was out eating locusts and wild honey and preaching, you know, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, he was bold in his assertions. He was confident about the Lamb of God. But there in prison, his perspective narrowed. And under the pressure of circumstance, he sent his disciples to Jesus with the question, are you really the one or am I looking for somebody else? This thing hadn't turned out the way I thought. Uh, this thing hasn't, 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 hasn't produced what I thought. And now my perspective has changed. Jesus, so are you really the one? Are we looking for somebody else? And Jesus sent them back to John and said, go tell him what you saw and what you heard. And really what Jesus was saying, he was quoting messianic scriptures out of Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. And when he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing with joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and and streams of water and streams will 
uh, of water in the wasteland. And, and then over in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus knew that John knew those scriptures. And really, he was saying, go tell John what you've seen and heard. He was really saying, go back and tell John that you're seeing the fulfillment of the word. Listen, fourthly, and finally, listen, let me just say this. Wrong thinking will keep you from hearing the true voice of the Lord. Let's run real quick. First Kings 19 verses 10 through 13. Wrong thinking will keep you from hearing the true voice of the Lord. Wrong thinking, it will keep you from hearing the true voice of the Lord. Wrong thinking will produce wrong emotions. Wrong thinking will produce wrong speaking. Wrong thinking will lead to wrong believing. Wrong thinking will keep you from hearing the true voice of the Lord. First Kings 19, verse 10 through 13. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Earlier on, In that story, it was Elijah listening to the still, small voice of the Lord. And when he did, he he said to King Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It hadn't rained in three and a half years, but he was listening to the Lord. And sometimes, what are you saying? Sometimes we're listening for the Lord in the wrong place. My brother and sister, God communicates with, with us down in our spirit. He's a spirit. The real you and I are spirits. Are you with me? Go back and read John chapter 4. He's a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You and I are spirits. So Romans 8, 14 is still true. All who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. Romans 8, 16 is still true. The spirit bears witness with our head. No, no. The spirit bears witness with our mind that we are the children of God. Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. You see, God's speaking to you. God's talking to you more than you're giving him credit for. So often we're saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, talk to me. Lord, I need direction. Lord, I need your help. Lord, where are you at? And God is already speaking to you. He sent me here tonight to tell you, listen, you need to listen down here. You need to be more sensitive. We all do. Down here. Sometimes we get caught up in the earthquake, in the wind, in in the fire, and all that. No. He's down here in your spirit. Your mind can interpret things that come up from your spirit. But you and I need to be more sensitive to our spirit because our victory depends upon our thought life. Let's pray. Father, we've endeavored tonight in these few moments to share with your people the important theme of our victory depends on our thought life because our thought life leads us to so many other things. In our thought life, wrong thinking produces wrong emotions and wrong thinking produces wrong speaking and wrong thinking leads to wrong believing. And wrong thinking will keep us from hearing the true voice of the Lord. And Father, in whatever area we need this message tonight, I pray you'd help each person to apply this message. And for someone here, Father, they need your help. They need your guidance. They're 
they're in a problem. They're in a pickle of a situation. They're not sure what to do. They find themselves like I did back in 2014. But I pray you'll guide them and speak to them. Father, down in their innermost man, and you may have already talked to them, Lord. They may not have heard what you said. Speak to them again. Guide us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. And we'll be so careful just to give you all the glory, all the honor. Father, we realize that we have to cast down wrong thinking. Wrong thinking about who we are in Christ. Wrong thinking about the righteousness that Christ has already obtained for us. Wrong thinking about the greatest, about, not, about the enemy of the church, which is the devil. He's a defeated foe. Thank you. Colossians 2.15, Revelations 12.10 through 12. Thank you. Hebrews 2.14. Thank you, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Satan's a defeated foe. But still he walks around seeking someone to devour those who won't cast down wrong thinking. And so often in little ways, somebody walks into a room and someone was talking and they think, Father, well, they must be talking about me. Someone shows up at work and they think these people don't like me here. Someone's around other people or friends and they think they must be thinking this, they must be saying that wrong thinking begins to produce a whole litany of wrong emotions and words and actions and beliefs. So help us today to correct wrong thinking and to meditate in your word because that will straighten out our wrong thinking. To spend time in worship because that will straighten out our wrong thinking. And then Father, to walk in victory. Help us today to see ourselves and our current set of circumstances in the light that you see it. Help us to see ourselves in the light of the victory that you already see. And so, help us, Lord, to cast down old ways of thinking, wrong ways of thinking, and then do what you said in Romans 12 when we started out. Transform us by Bible thinking and Bible thoughts and meditative Bible thinking and believing. And then we'll give you all the glory as we walk from glory to glory, victory after victory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.